Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Bullshit. Um, I think I'm going to just co- go ahead and call it episode 17, even though I posted the last one as episode 17, and it was actually episode 16, and episode 16 was actually episode 15. I think we can figure it out. Um, that's all my bad. No one else is to blame but me. Hey, today I've got a guest from San Francisco, a friend of mine who I met um, DJing in Ashland when he was at SOU. He was a student at SOU, and we DJed together a little bit at the Vinyl Club way back in the day. Um, Well, not actually that long ago, but anyway, Mr. John Del Secco will be joining the podcast this morning. I'm very excited to see him. He will be DJing tonight at Voodoo Martini in downtown Medford. Um, Today's podcast is brought to you by Meet the Brave, a podcast with my very good friend, Monty Draper, a Bay Area musician, good friend, and an all-around great guy. Meet the Brave with Monty Draper. And now on to Coffee and Bullshit. Good morning. Good morning. We're podcasting. Oh, we're live? Yeah, we're live. Oh, made well, <laughs> slurping <laughs> Quote, unquote, yeah, yeah. live. <laughs> Because um, it's recording, and then I'll put probably, it on the internet later. Probably not save that those noises that I made in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> I'm fine with all the stuff that happens when I turn the record button on. <laughs> Whatever happens, mm-hmm. you know, it's organic, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Welcome to welcome to Southern Oregon again. Thank you. It's yeah. always good to be here. You're going to DJ tonight. Yes, I'm really excited. DJ Diesel in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. John Del Secco. Yes. I love saying that. John Del Secco. Thank you. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? It sounds pretty nice. It sounds huggy. Are you hugging? Are you a hugger? We hugged. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a hugger. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can't actually remember the last time I saw you. Um, um, it's been a couple of years. Um, it, was it yeah. after Japan? Yes, after this most recent time. I th- I don't recall, but whatever. It it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the valley hasn't really changed since you've been back into the Bay Area. Are you actually in San Francisco? So I'm working in San Francisco, but I live right across the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. So it's a real short commute for me. So like, um, what's that town or city? Um, it's Mill Valley. Mill Valley. Yeah. Okay. I have, I have another friend in Mill Valley. Oh, wow. Yeah. She used to live in Ashland, mm-hmm. weirdly enough. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, she moved back to Mill Valley, I want to say four years ago. But anyway, yeah, I've not been to Mill Valley. I just know about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's a nice kind of, I was going to say sleepy town, but it's getting really packed with people now. Is days. it? Yeah. It's nice to just be out of the city. I don't know. I, I love the city, mm-hmm. but I like to get out of it too. So. When I go to San Francisco, um, specifically into the city, there's a store called Undefeated mm-hmm. that I drop into, and they have the coolest shoes. Yeah, and other, it's like exclusively shoe store? Or no, it's, it's like urban fashion, you mm-hmm. know, like street, street fashion, um, very, very urban themed and... Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like diamond, you know, like what I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Um, which I I actually subscribe now to Threadbeast. Do you know about them? I think I've heard of them. Yeah. I, I figure this. So I use um, what is it called? Trunk Club. 
mm-hmm. for like my business attire. Mm-hmm. And you can pause that anytime, you know, and just pause it for a few months or whatever. But every now and then it's good to just sort of get into some new clothing mm-hmm. um, as I also fluctuate in size. <laughs> but well. Threadbeast is more street fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just got my first box the other day. It's all right. Not a sponsor, either one of them, by the way. <laughs> um, I like to say that whenever I give a like a business mention that they don't sponsor the podcast. Mm-hmm. They're uh, just like a subscription service. So they yeah. send you a box full of stuff. Box full of mm-hmm. swag and I stickers. Feel like there's a company for everything. Oh with, with the boxes, the subscription boxes. I, I was online trying to find the weirdest one I could find, and there was one that does, like, survival equipment. Okay. So every month, they'll send you a box full of, like, saws, razor wire, <laughs> glow sticks, and canned food. It's like, it's interesting, but I don't imagine you're going to need that every month, you know? Have you ever heard of man crates? No. Not a sponsor, but now you have. <laughs> now, you, now you can Google that later. Um, what, what, are you doing, what are you doing for work? Um, so I'm working on ad tech code for a big retailer. We don't know what the hell you just said to me. So like, let's put it in words that a Missourian can figure out. <laughs> yeah. The company I work for does like bougie home goods. Oh. So imagine if you're online and you're, you're looking around and you look at like a saucepan uh-huh. and you're like, oh, okay, cool. But you don't buy it. And then you go somewhere else and then all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. Like facebook and then retargeted ads (laughs) you're one of those guys yep (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because i do i do that all the time i see that every Mm -hmm. day and it's funny because like people get that a lot of hate but if it's something like i'm already into i kind of like that rather than like untargeted ads yeah you know, so I'm not just seeing like ads for pharmaceuticals or stuff I'm not interested in at all. It's it's something like, oh yeah, I do need to buy that. Yeah, I did. I did like that thing. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll buy it. That's the that's the thing about consumerism is it, it now it's just you're just constantly reminded of what you've already been shopping for. Yeah, that's the uh, the principle behind. It's called retargeting. Mm. So like somebody that adds something to their cart is much more likely to buy that at, at some point later. And there's probably some reason where you you added it to your cart and then you're like. Eh, I don't know. But then um, you you might be likely to come back and be like, you know what? Actually, I do want to buy that. Or I finally got paid. Now I can buy it. <laughs> so, so I have two things sitting in my Duke uh, Cannon, my Duke Cannon yeah. cart, mm-hmm. two bars of soap. <laughs> yep. Have you seen ads for them elsewhere? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Duh. It's yeah. it's funny because I sometimes I'll be at work and I'll buy something online or whatever. I'll look at something that I'm yeah. that I'm thinking about buying, and then I get home and pow, there's an ad for it on my home computer or mm-hmm. my phone. Yes, and they're not linked. So, yes and no. I mean, it's linked so, because I've used Facebook at work. Yeah. You know, because I'm I'm looking for leads, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's their website. Yeah, so that's that's possibly one way that you could get linked. Um, all of these, the the tracking code that exists, it depends on um, what vendors and stuff that the company uses. But um, like the probably the biggest and more common one is Facebook because Facebook has they call it a pixel, mm. and it usually still is, but mostly it's because it used to be this transparent one by one pixel image that they would tack on some like code to that would then track the user or whatever information that they wanted to pass along. Mm-hmm. So if you've signed into Facebook on that computer and you're looking at things and they're using a Facebook tracking pickle, <laughs> pickle, pixel, <laughs> pixel, and then um, 
you sign on at home and you're signed on to your Facebook, that uh, browsing activity has been linked to you. So, <laughs> so if be there Russia. Can, yeah, Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I understand the privacy concerns, but at the same time, it's I think properly targeted ads are actually a good thing. Well, here's the thing. If you're using any internet, you're, you're, you're putting yourself at any kind of, I mean, you're just putting yourself out there. Yeah. I mean, there are ways to anonymize, but, um, the links at which they can track you is, um, pretty substantial. So even down to, I mean, it depends on the, the tracking types, but, um, I think Facebook can get pretty invasive. Like they even log, like other devices on the same network. Mm. So then if you're browsing on another device, even if you haven't signed into Facebook, that device has been linked to you. Okay. So like it's super granular. Holy cow. So like Pinterest does this thing called enhanced match and it's, uh, they try and attribute an email address to you. So if you are browsing Pinterest or you use Pinterest and they can, the company that's using the Pinterest tracking pixel, they have an email address for you. They'll pass that back in a secure hash back to Pinterest and try and match that email and account. So then you could use Pinterest advertising to reach that person. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that, what the cuss is going on? <laughs> yeah, this is what you went to college for, this kind of stuff, this sort of work. Yeah, this is uh, much more technical, and this has really evolved a lot over the last five to ten years. But mm. uh, mostly what I learned in undergraduate was like the marketing advertising side of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. W- what year did you graduate at SOU? 2013. Okay. Yeah, because I'm not putting together the... I don't conceptualize time very well. Yeah. So this morning as I was recording the intro before you got here, Mm -hmm. I started thinking about how long have I known John? Well, that's a minimum of five years, but even before that. So probably two um, years before you graduated at least. Longer, I think. I think it's since 2008, 2009. So that's almost 10 years. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, That's great, man. I'm getting Mm -hmm. old. We all are. <laughs> well, you're still in your 20s. Uh, not for long. Oh, are you going to be 30 this coming year? Yes. Or this next birthday? Uh, next month. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you going to do the typical dirty 30 thing or are you What's just going to let the typical one? It's just people call their dirty 30. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's like a, you got to go do this because you're 30, but people, when they have their 30th birthday mm. party, they call it so-and-so's dirty 30. Yeah. Yeah. Every uh, time. Yeah, it, it is true. Everybody does seem to do that. <laughs> I feel like he only turned 30 once until he turned 60, but it it doesn't rhyme. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like you have to do something weird and extravagant and, uh, I haven't figured that out yet. So if you have any ideas for weird extravagance. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I'm talking to a guy who's been so many places in the world, (laughs) not just on the West coast or in the United States of America, but you've traveled the globe quite, quite well and far are there countries that are on your map right now that you want to visit yes always always 
there's a guy I know, um, just sort of. We we uh, worked for the same company in radio. I, when I worked in radio, I worked for Clear Channel, and he was in. Um, I think I think he was in Tucson. I don't re- mm-hmm. remember. Anyway, he does Sunday night slow jams. You might have heard of that. It's a syndicated Sunday night program for mm-hmm. slow jam R and B. Um, but he has a podcast where. Um, he talks about every country that he goes to, and his end goal is to go to every country on the globe. Yeah. And he's more than halfway. I think he's more than halfway there. I listened to his podcast, but it's been a while. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who's doing something similar. He was uh, teaching English, but he would travel very unconventionally. Hmm. So most of us would get on an airplane or uh, a train or a car. He would um, He would take jobs as like a ship hand and ride a cargo ship to like East Africa. Huh. And um and then he would teach English in Asia and then once he had enough he would um get on a, a long train across the continent. Wow. Yeah, just all sorts of really wild stories. He told me about about going to countries that aren't formally recognized as countries and how how sketchy that was because of the corruption there. Wow. And and just trying to get out. Like he he told me about this time where I wish I could remember the name of it because it's not officially recognized as a country, but mm-hmm. they're trying to get it to be recognized as a country. Mm-hmm. And so he gets stopped there by border guards and he has these encounters where they're trying to not let him go. But he's got um, two passports because he's um, Japanese dual citizenship. Okay. So U.S. and Japanese. And so he's traveling with this Japanese one, which makes him um, a little friendlier. It's not, uh, I was going to say not as powerful as U.S. passport, but that's... It's uh, more even, accepted, probably. Yeah, exactly. More and like, so, less like, American. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> Japanese tourists. But um, he gets stopped by these guards and... Um, they're heckling him, giving him a hard time, and he has uh, some Cubans and stuff. So he's like, "Hey, do you guys, do you guys like cigars? Do you want to, do you want to smoke a cigar?" They're like, "Yeah, okay, sure," and smoke a cigar with him. And he's like, "Yo, do you guys like whiskey? I have this bottle of whiskey," and just like pours the whiskey for these guys. And he's like drinking with them, but he's super uncomfortable because they're trying to figure out like what they can get out of him. Yeah, but he's he's playing off this card that he's like just super poor like guy traveling through but he happens to have this stuff and like he's trying to like make good with these guys so he can get out of this country so they're not like stopping him up so they can take things from him yeah so he made it out he did yes that Uh, that is really knowing how to adapt yes he's really good with his street smarts i think you have to be in some places oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's really funny um i've been to canada (laughs) (laughs) that's it Canada <laughs> and a lot of the United States. Um, there's a few left, and hopefully a couple of them will be marked off here in the next coming months because I, I'll probably be traveling for work, um, the day job. But um, anyway, so you were in Japan for a while, and you experienced that giant tsunami. Oh, yeah. That was uh, 2010, 2011. That was crazy, huh? Yeah, so the actual tsunami was uh, a ways away from me. It was like 200 kilometers, but okay. um, the earthquake was enormous. It was uh, 9.0 at the epicenter, and then a little bit lower where I was because I was in Tokyo. Um, so that was, I mean, Japan has earthquakes all the time, but sure. I, was, I was just like, well, this one's a bit big. <laughs> uh, and then they 
stop the trains to make sure that there's no damage because it all goes underneath the city. Okay. So um, I ended up being stranded in Tokyo for like six, eight hours until we figured out that everything was good and they started running the trains again. Hmm. Um, but the thing that actually concerned us was um, the nuclear situation. Yeah. Because the, the government wasn't coming clear about Are you familiar with what happened there? Yeah. Yeah, we speak mm. on it. That's what so, it's all about. Yeah, the... Uh, so it's, it's it's interesting. the The nuclear power plant out by the coast is what got hit, and um, it was fine for the earthquake. Like it's built to withstand earthquakes, tsunamis, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. What happened is the um, the earthquake happened, which um, damaged it and shut off power. But it has backup emergency generators, so those immediately kick in, um, and so. The the generators kick in, everything's fine, everything's working as normal, and then this enormous tsunami comes off the coast and knocks out the backup generators. Oh gosh. And the like the backup backup. Um. So several layers of failure protection weren't enough because they weren't expecting an earthquake and a tsunami both at once. Yes. So all of this happened and then at that point when it didn't have power, they had no way to cool down the um the nuclear fission that was happening inside mm. the reactor. So it boiled up all the water and then did damage to the, the containment. And so the nuclear um, materials started um, leaking out. Right. And that's where it became a huge problem. So we, in Tokyo, we didn't really know exactly what was going on because um, there's some aspect to Japanese culture about saving face and not really like exp- <laughs> like coming clear about everything. Yeah. And so we were, we were kind of concerned about that. Huh? So it was, uh, I think at that point, cause they were still recovering. This is like the biggest earthquake in 70, 80 years. Hmm. Um, so the, the country's still recovering. They have, um, like scheduled blackouts where they're conserving power for the, uh, all the super critical stuff like hospitals hmm. and, um, like government facilities. So, they're rolling these blackouts across Tokyo and then the embassy starts doing um, voluntary evacuation for U.S. citizens. And so it was at that point I was like, you know, maybe I'll just go back to the United States for like a week or two and, <laughs> and wait for this to blow over. Yeah. And uh, it was actually really great that I got out when I did. It didn't really get worse. Japan is amazing. Mm. Um, but right after I did that, um, a lot more people were trying to leave. So I was actually able to... Get to the airport was a hard part, but um, once I got on a flight, I was okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Wow. So mm-hmm. on a on a scale of one to ten, how how freaked out were you? How scared were you? Mm, like six, seven. The, I think the hardest part about that was just not having all the information. Mm. So, like I I've read manuals about like nuclear biological chemical and like what to do <laughs> mm. but we don't know at what stage that it's at because the country doesn't really want to admit exactly what's happening yeah so just not having that information was the the toughest part so it's like well how bad are we do i need to tape my windows like make seals should i be getting food like should i be making other preparations like what do i need yeah and, and we just didn't know huh wow i uh, i <sighs> I wonder how different it'd be here in that scenario. Mm. You know, like if it happened somewhere here in a major city, well, what kind of public awareness would be wrapped around? Like, okay, you need to do this now. (laughs) Yeah. um, 
I mean, we've had a, a few situations kind of like that in the United States, but not like an exact parallel. But you, okay, so but but compact that to mm-hmm. Japan is not a big place. Yeah, mm-hmm. the United States is a pretty big place, and, and obviously mm-hmm. we had nine eleven, and that was that was very major in New York City and things around New York City. But it mm-hmm. it, it had no physical, um, it had nothing physical effect over here. There yeah. was nothing physical mm-hmm. about it over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, I, I, I'm thinking like maybe if it was a giant, a giant thing all over the states. Mm-hmm. Of course, at that point, what kind, you know, what kind of infrastructure will we would we have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how would they get the information to us? You know, because at that point, you're you're probably losing cellular signal. You're mm-hmm. not going to have internet. Um, there might be some radio signal. Um, guys with like. Uh, Oh, what's that kind of radio? Um, CB him. Well, CBs, but there's that other one where the guys in the garage, you know, like broadcasting, yeah. and talking to people in in other parts of the world. But anyway, that's interesting. Um, that would be. I have nothing mm-hmm. here to sustain. Yeah. Myself in a situation like that. Well, so Japan was really interesting, actually. There that you bring that up. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like what they tell you to do about an earthquake here. Mm. Oregon doesn't actually get many mm. at all, right? Yeah, and I'm from the Midwest. It's more about tornadoes. Yeah. Okay. So floods. Um, I grew up in San Francisco, and um, like as a little kid, even you you get the what to do in an earthquake situation all the and time. So one of the things for communication is um, to have a landline. Okay. And that's because the assumption is that cell towers will get damaged and you won't be able to use cell phones. <laughs> I mean, this was, again, years ago, so things probably have changed mm-hmm. since then. But Japan was an interesting situation because um, you would expect that to be the case, especially with such a like a huge earthquake. Um, it even bent Tokyo Tower, which is a broadcast tower, huh. just by the sheer force of like moving. Wow. The, the top antenna bent. And... Um, so we're expecting this and thinking landlines, but uh, the landlines were all down, huh. and the only thing that was open was cell phones. But <laughs> huh. cell service was so overloaded, and um, Japan uses CDMA mm. um, instead of GSM. Um, GSM. Yeah, so Sprint would work over there. Yes, but they do that because it accommodates more users per uh, node, I, th- I believe. Right, but. Uh, even with that, everybody was just completely jammed up because they were trying to get in touch with family or family was trying to get in touch with them to be right. like, I'm okay. So what most people ended up doing and using and then utilizing for news was Twitter. Huh. So okay. Twitter has a really great talk about this, about the use of Twitter, because even if you couldn't make analog calls or send um, like analog SMS messages, yeah. you could get online. So you could get on Twitter and post a message. And that was a really easy way because other people were able to see your message and be like, oh, you're okay. Yeah. All right, you're good. You huh. didn't have to make all of these phone calls because you're, you're just broadcasting your status. And actually, that's kind of what I did. I didn't use Twitter back then, but um, I used Facebook to tell people that, hey, I'm alive. Like, you'd be all right. Because <laughs> almost everything that was being broadcast in the United States was several days behind. And, oh. well, it was like six to 12 hours behind. Okay. So mostly just like the, the time difference and getting 
footage to broadcast, I suppose, but almost everything that they were showing was um, the tsunami. So people were seeing that. And it was like this enormous tsunami just eating up houses and cars. And then at one point, like there was a tsunami that was covered in oil that had caught fire. Oh, and so, so people were watching this and they're, they're panicking. They're like, Oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm in Tokyo. I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. <laughs> That's funny. And it's, you, you, uh, you reminded me of a conversation I had the other day with somebody about SMS. Mm-hmm. People don't know what SMS is. Yeah, I mean, it's another sign that we're getting really old. Um, I mean, SMS exists, but most people don't really refer to it like that. Like especially call it since text messaging. Yeah, I mean, and it's important to make that distinction because um, the alternatives like Apple's iMessage only work with internet access. It's You're not right. analog. Yeah. So, um, like, in the event that um, that you were to lose analog service, but you had internet, you could still send messages. Yeah. So, um, like Japan, they um, they don't really have. I mean, they have text messages, but it's SMS. They do mobile email more, mm. which yeah, I know that sounds very weird. It's it sounds clunky. It, it is unless you're using an iPhone. So the the thing, mm. the funny thing about SMS is that technology existed years before we used it yeah. in Europe. And then mm. the government had access to it, and then all of a sudden the public was like, "Wait a minute." You know, we we were people were sending texts before it was a service. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, carriers were like, "Well, hey, um, <laughs> we can uh, make money off of this. I'm going to charge you for that." <laughs> yeah, you know, and now it's just like it's so funny how that has changed. Where your phone plan is just like, you know, it's one thing. Here it is. Here's your phone. Pow. And mm-hmm. now, I mean, all you really need is data. That's like, it. Analog is is a backup. Yeah. Like, if I don't have good enough service to make a, a FaceTime call, maybe I'll make a phone call. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or, like, somebody calls you, you're like, oh, could this be a text message, please? <laughs> <laughs> I call I call my grandfather every Thursday at 1130. Mm-hmm. Every Thursday. And um, I call, I've called you on my lunch break, mm-hmm. more, mostly recently because of the planning of you coming up here to DJ in, in, my, in my proxy at my little my friend friend's little place, mm-hmm. which apparently after I left last night, mm-hmm. there were a bunch of women there you dancing mm-hmm. to the iPad music that, that the owner had on. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh man, I left way too early. <laughs> there were so there were, it was full, <laughs> huh. but anyway, um, yeah, voodoo, you're going to like it there. It's small. It's kind of like a vinyl club vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, the ceilings are higher. <laughs> What's interesting about that, too, is I think smaller venues in this area actually do better. Well, it's and easy it's, to get more people in there. Yeah, it's a, a human psychology thing. It's not about having the capacity. It's about appearing busy. It's like a right. marketing strategy. So mm-hmm. even if you were to delay opening, like you say you open at 9, but don't open until like 9.15, 9.20 and try and get a line, that will add to the number of people you'll have in your venue. We don't have lines in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, no. the, the city stuff, the, the funny thing about this, the owner of this place is mm-hmm. that he has owned like six different places mm-hmm. or been in way upper management or partnership with, with these other places. Mm-hmm. And um, he'll build the brand and it'll succeed wildly, wildly succeed. Mm-hmm. And then he shuts it down. But why? And he opens somewhere else. Interesting. Oh, well, that's the... Uh, that's a Vegas, Vegas style. Yep. Yeah, I it's was Vegas. Say. And people will be like, oh, 
I mean, why would you work there? He keeps failing. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, let me let me give you an, an inkling into that because he's not failing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not failing. It, it succeed and then stop and then rebrand and make a new place and a new location and you're busy and it's so this this voodoo is has been a little bit different. It's not been it's not been crazy busy. Um, and, and honestly, it would only take like 40 people to make it so. I don't actually know the capacity. It might be 50, 55. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty small place, again, like the Vinyl Club. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's just one room, and the bar is really nice. It's mm-hmm. real pretty inside. And the drinks that they make, I, I, obviously, I wouldn't know how they taste, but my mm-hmm. friends tell me all the time, like, man, they make great drinks there. Yeah. Um, not a sponsor. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you'll have fun there. Um, CT is real smart. Yeah. He he will be a little hands on, but not not too bad. Um, mm-hmm. He's got the th- the thing about him is he's very measured. Mm-hmm. So if you understand that, that's where he's coming from when he'll yeah. he might come up and ask you to switch it up a little bit. Gotcha. Um, and I, it's funny that we're podcasting about this, but the little backside of how it is to DJ in a little club, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I'm real glad you had the time to come up and do that. Oh yeah, no. I always I love DJing. I like travel DJing too. Um, so did I cool. Tell you, I uh, I got to DJ while I was in Mexico. Mm. No, that was a great trip. Where were when when did you do Mexico? Uh, this was not February. Where did what town? Where yeah, were you at? Yeah, it was like February. So actually, a few different towns. Okay. Um, so I landed in Puerto Vallarta and I met up with do you remember uh, DJ Charles Watts? Yes. So met him there. I was going to ask you. Yeah, we cool. uh, so we went on vacation for a bit because Puerto Vallarta is a beautiful city okay. and it's right on the ocean. So we did the resort thing for a few days and then we drove um, a little bit north. There's this town north of um, Nuevo Puerto Vallarta called um, Sayulita. And it's this tiny little like surf town, but they've got a bunch of really nice um, bars and restaurants and stuff. And it's it reminds me actually a lot of Ashland, huh, okay. which I like, but, um, we DJ there at this place called Yambak, which was cool. It was like all sorts of people from all over hmm. and, um, super fun, super fun time. And then, um, from there we did a road trip across Mexico. So we went from, um, Sayulita East, um, over to his hometown of Guanajuato. Oh, okay. And the so, sister city. Yeah, exactly. Very to, nice. Um, is that to Ashland or to Medford? A- Ashland. To Ashland, yeah. Yeah. And um, so we stayed there, and then we DJed at another place there. Also super fun, super cool city. Um, it's a college town, which I didn't know actually before going, um, but beautiful city. And then um, after then, we went north, and we went to Mexico City, and we went to EDC Mexico. Huh. Which was a lot of fun. So when you're in Mexico and you're yeah. playing in venues, what are mm-hmm. you playing? So that was an interesting thing, too, because I, I wanted to get, like, a handle on, like, what I should be playing. Yeah. And um, so Carlos mentioned that I probably should do more uh, electro house. Okay. But, like, uh, bass house. Oh. So, like, uh, like a rougher version of, of regular electro house music. Which So I, I got a fair amount of that, and I was playing that, and then... I actually encountered a fair amount of tourists while I was in Sayulita, so okay. I ended up switching into more like uh, regular top forties mixed in with Electra House. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
But when we were in his hometown, it was the like electro house. And then I even went and it was just uh, mostly a throwback set of like old electro stuff. Like I even played, um, like some Paul Oakenfold. Oh, <laughs> and people were loving it. Huh? Cool. Mm-hmm. I was, I was surprised, but pleasantly so. And you, I mean, that's kind of your thing, you know, this, the house music, you really yeah. like, you mm-hmm. like spinning house music. Mm-hmm. I still have those records. Oh yeah. I totally mm-hmm. do. They're somewhere in that collection behind you. So there's <laughs> yeah. a fair amount of vinyl in here. I have a fair amount of vinyl and I have a hi-fi stereo right here. And then my turntable and Bruce Springsteen's butt. No, <laughs> um, not for my viewing pleasures. But <laughs> not that that matters. But anyway, so yeah, this this is the this is the unfinished studio. I have got a few ideas to do. I don't really know what I'm going to do with my total gym thing yet. But in <laughs> my Kansas City Chiefs trash can that takes up a lot of space and I never use for anything other than holding a bunch of crap that I don't want to look at. Podcast and work out at the same time. Yeah, I could work cast or pod out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever's whatever's best. But yeah, this is the only room in the house with carpet. That's nice. And I've got the back door just wide open, so you're, you're people are gonna hear the birds chirping and the cars driving by and anyone that fires up a chainsaw or something, <laughs> they're gonna hear all that. Um, that's but, the thing that I like about here is that I mean, if we listen, which of course they're not gonna chirp when I when I stop. I keep um, hearing them. Yeah, here here and there. It's <laughs> it's so calm. We don't hear any cars. You're just hearing birds and nature sounds, and that's that's so great. Because I, I work in like the heart of the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, no longer in the financial district. I'm I'm more by the the wharf. Okay, but that's like tourist mecca. So yes. people yelling and Ubers and cars, buses. It's just lots of noise. So it's that's part of the reason why I like not living in the city, or at least not being in it all the time. Right. But it's so nice up here. It's it's beautiful. Birds are chirping. It's great. So where you live, are you, do you have a place to yourself? Are you roommates? What's I have a roommate. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's like the only way to make living down there affordable. I suppose that's the truth too, because oh, yeah. I, I've been seeing on Facebook, I don't know if this is true, mm-hmm. but there's an article floating around that if you make um, $117,000 a year, you qualify for low income housing. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Uh, I think that's an exaggeration, but... I think if you made around that, that would make it affordable enough that you could live in the Bay Area and still be sort of comfortable. I forget. The rule is something like um, rent should be no more than, was it like 33% of your income? Oh, my gosh. And I mean, there's there's $10,000 rentals. Yes. So it's not the norm. I mean, $10,000 rental would be a nice place. But um, generally, you'll see like a multifamily home go for around... Like sixty five hundred for like two three multi family home for how many rooms? Um, like three bedroom. How does that even qualify as a multi family <laughs> home? So a lot of the people, especially like young people that I know who live in the city, they uh, they get a ton of roommates. So they get a place that's like normal size, so maybe like a three bed two bath or three bed one bath apartment, but they'll put four or five people in it. Oh, so gosh. they'll they'll convert like a living room. <laughs> Okay. Into another bedroom Mm. or maybe a couple like, and this is like a really wild thing is to make it so much more affordable. So many people like the moment they couple up, they move in together because it's one of the few ways to make it really affordable to live in the area. Man, that's rough. 
Yeah. I, I've got it good here. I've yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I miss I miss my apartment in Ashland. I love that place. Ashland, Ashland was um, was fun to live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I got married and moved here to Medford, I told Kate, I said, the only way I'll live in Medford mm-hmm. is if I find a place in Old East Medford. Yeah, I mean, this is a it's a beautiful neighborhood. There's it's actually really a lot of Medford that's great that um, like I don't get off as much and explore like these parts of Medford. Yeah. So what I know is like the downtown, the strip right next to the highway. Dude, the okay. So downtown, just down the road. Mm-hmm. If you if you went out my road and mm-hmm. then down Valley View and down East Main Street, mm-hmm. there's so much more happening down there now. Yeah. It still lacks. I mean, it's it, it it still feels a little less community than mm-hmm. Ashland did, but it's it really there are strides being made to improve that experience. And some of that's been due to restaurants and yeah. a couple other coffee shops that are opened up. Um, things that that festivals or what have you that people mm-hmm. are putting on. Um, there's there's a definite change in Medford that I've noticed since moving here that I didn't experience any other time that I've lived in Medford because I've lived like straight across the way uh, mm-hmm. on Spring Street. Oh really? Down you know, like mm-hmm. less than a mile from here, and I've lived in West Medford. I mean, a bunch of times. I think I've lived, if, if I put it all together, are you sitting down? Yes. I've lived in over 30 homes in the Rogue Valley. Huh. <laughs> Just in the Rogue Valley. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I've lived all over Medford. I've lived in Ashland three times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to stay here. I like this place. That's beautiful. It's a cool little spot. And it's perfect for just a dude. Mm-hmm. And all of his DJ equipment, yeah. <laughs> which some of it's living in the garage right now. Yeah. And sometimes I do get to park in there. Um, and it's so funny because I have a little car and you mm-hmm. saw it, but the, the garage has, um, and that, you know, it's due to my inability to make sure I'm not going to run into the sides, but it's effectively <laughs> ruined my mirror covers. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh-huh. And then I think to myself, this house was built in like 49 or 50, maybe 51, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. So mid-century uh, cottage. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, how the hell did anyone park a 50-something Buick in this garage? <laughs> maybe it was an addition later. No. No? It was built ex- ex- exactly the way it is, except for this room, mm-hmm. was the, pack, the back patio. So if you turn around, you'll look, there's a man door. Mm-hmm. A man door? What makes it a man door? That it's not a garage door. So it's a it's a door big enough for a person to walk through. So they, they call them a man door. And the windows into the kitchen and dining room. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, this was like, added on. Yeah, I was going to say, this looks like a sunroom, or it started to be a sunroom, and then it just got turned into another room. It got turned into another room. But this actually, I mean, there's the outside porch light that's the light to this room. <laughs> it's so weird. And it... You know, it took me it took me like a month to go, Oh, this was outside. <laughs> I'm so dumb. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I really like it here. It's affordable and it's quiet. You know, mm-hmm. Hillcrest is just right there, but you know, you hear it sometimes, but no one comes here. You know, they just keep on going. Yeah. I tell people where I live and they're like, 
uh, I think I know that road. And then I tell them, you know, Valley View and Hillcrest. Oh. Yeah. And they're kind of putting it together. Well, because this is right near that that bypass. So, like, I've driven in this neighborhood, but I just haven't been here. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever come up East Main, you've probably turned down Valley View Mm -hmm. to get to Hillcrest. And you've passed this road all the time. Or, you know, you've gone down Highland and there's that roundabout and that's just, you know, a mile away. Mm-hmm. But, and I've lived over there. I've lived on Highland, mm. <laughs> come to think of it. Um, do you remember, do you remember Callie that worked at the Pita Pit upstairs from the Vinyl Club? Tall blonde girl. She went to SOU. I think so. I'm so terrible with names. You probably would, but yeah. she lives right down the road. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that's another interesting thing about such a small town is like, you know, everybody and everybody <laughs> you work with, you're like, Oh, Hey, or like you see them out, which that was like a really weird thing for me, um, in college DJing because yeah. you get to see a very different side of people when they're at the kind of clubs that <laughs> DJ at here. So you'll see somebody like breaking it low or being just obscene. Yes. And then all of a sudden you see them in a very normal adult context out in the real world. Yeah, yes. If you're like at the bank in line and you see somebody in like a, um, like a smart get up, like looking business-like and you're like, Oh my God, you were, you were that person last night. <laughs> and yes. it, it's weird because if they make eye contact, they'll immediately try and break eye contact. Yes. They're like, no, no, uh, no, uh, <laughs> don't uh, out me here. <laughs> I saw you getting weird last night. I, uh, uh, no, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Which, I mean, like normally I, I'm, I'm fine to just like, let it slide. Be like, Hey, everybody's got to blow off some steam. You enjoy yourself, whatever you do, that's fine. But you have the kind of people who do stuff that are like, just so mean or rude like <laughs> yeah. and the funniest for me was um i was working at um orion's irish pub one night and um okay let me see if i can give this story without outing somebody specifically <laughs> anyway so i'll I, probably know them <laughs> i'm working there and um we're closing up and uh do you remember sammy yeah. So she throws me the keys and she's like, here, lock the front door. I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. So I go over there, lock the front door. And then all of a sudden this girl runs up and she's like banging on the window. Like, Hey, I want, I want to use the bathroom. And I'm like, uh, sorry, we're closed. Hang on. Let me, and I, I go to ask Sammy. I'm like, Hey, somebody wants to use the bathroom. She's like, no, we're done. We were closed. It was one of those nights yeah. where it's just like nobody else. No more. We are not accommodating money, your needs right now. Maybe clean up and we're going home. Mm-hmm. So and I go back and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I can't let you in. Like, we're, we're done. We're closed. I, I can't. And so she starts, like, getting very angry, like, really upset. And she's like, I'm, I need to pee. You got to let me in right now. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry. We can't. I can't let you in. I, I don't have control over this. And she's like, I want to pee on your doorstep. It's going to happen right now. And we're like, oh, God. And then I, like, go back to try and talk to Sammy. And I'm like... Sammy, this this girl is like losing it. Should we like let her use the bathroom and then like lock up just so we get her out of here? And uh, we we go to go back, and Sammy comes with me to tell her like, no, we're closed, go away. And this girl has hiked up her skirt and is peeing on the doormat of Orion's Irish Pub. <sighs> <laughs> and she opens the door. She's like, what are you doing? Get out of here. That's and incredible. She's like, that's disgusting. Yes. That's <laughs> as if tonight wasn't enough. That's <laughs> disgusting. So get a, um, a big um, 
cup of boiling water with some bleach in it. Mm-hmm. Clean that up, pack up, go home, and just like, oh man, last night, last night was wild. And then all of a sudden, I forget where I'm. I'm like in the library, and I see this girl, <laughs> and it's the same girl. I'm like. I think I was with Fernando at the time. Fernando! Uh, yeah, so I tap him, I'm like, hey, 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 this is that girl. This is that girl from last night. This is the girl who peed. I saw you pee on the doormat. Well, I, I didn't actually go up to her, but it was like, at some point she made eye contact, and she realized who I was, and she just, just immediately got out of there. Yes, she did. And it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a scene at the library, I mean, I'm I'm not intoxicated. I know not to make a scene in a public place. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just just the way that some people act, I don't think I've ever been so angry and intoxicated and full of liquids <laughs> that I wanted to do something like that. Dude, all of the shit show that I've ever been when I've been drinking. I mean, I've done some pretty stupid things, but yeah. never have I peed on a doormat of a business that wouldn't let me pee somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I don't even think it was, I mean, sure, she may need to pee, but I think it was mostly just an act of aggression because she thought I was refusing to let her in, which yeah. we were closed. I wasn't supposed to let anyone in, but it was, you're not letting me in. So wait, I can swear, right? We're not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> She's like, fuck you guys. I'm going to pee on your doormat. Yes. <laughs> just, oh man and that's not even like the wildest i'm sure you have some great stories as 15 well. years at the vinyl yeah. club yes yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah I, good stories i've got a grocery list that mm-hmm. at the end of the uh paying for the groceries would probably be a 500 dollars bill <laughs> you know yeah that but, would be a, a really good study if anyone out there is studying human psychology Man, go to a nightclub. Go to a nightclub. Yeah. I, I worked at a place in Medford called Rock and Rodeo um, way before you moved here. Mm-hmm. And it was a country bar and uh, we played some rock and roll, you know, whatever. And I've that place was like really popular. Mm-hmm. This was the early 90s into the early 2000s. So country was like real, real, real popular. It was almost like a top 40 type of place back then as far as charts and stuff with country music. But um, it's amazing the things that I saw in that place. And then moving over to like the dance club because rock and rodeo, I mean, Mm. yeah, it was a nightclub, but you know, country dancing, country stuff is pretty specific, Mm -hmm. you know, two steps, swings, cha-chas, line dances, and then the rock and roll or open dancing stuff that I would play each hour. Mm -hmm. Um, but you go to a a dance club, a traditional dance club, and it's just dance hits all night long, you know, um, format was a little different. So the country club, the formatting was very specific. And I wrote a, I wrote a playlist for every night Mm -hmm. and it was formulated. So, Um, actually, I the, mean, to a degree, I think that like your standard dance club could be formulated as well. And well, I used I, to go into gigs like that. When I formulate, when I say formulate, mm-hmm. I mean, so I would do like two or three, two steps in a row and it would all go up in tempo. And then I would drop it down with a cha-cha and mm-hmm. then come up with a faster cha-cha. 
And then right around the same tempo, I'd play swing music, West Coast Swing, which is kind of bluesy and sexy, and then play another faster one, and then go into a fast East Coast Swing or Cowboy Swing, Mm -hmm. um, and then into a a 10-step, which is a circle kind of line dance, like Cotton Eye Joe. And then I would do like two or three line dances, and then three two or three rock or open dance songs. And that was the hour. So, mm-hmm. and then right at the end of that set for rock, I'd play it. I'd play slow music. I'd come right out the gate with mm-hmm. like, I cross my heart by George Strait. And then I would do a waltz and then a cha-cha and then a swing and then two steps and then cowboy swing. And in the whole, that was the, that was the ebb and flow of each hour mm-hmm. of that nightclub. Um, when I've played in dance clubs, it, the only tempo changes I'm making is going from like hip hop to like a house remix, which mm. now we have transitions for that. You know, we have yeah. pre-made DJ transitions mm-hmm. back then. We didn't have that, yeah. you know, in, in the early two thousands, there weren't, there weren't people producing that kind of stuff. I mean, early two thousands, you'd probably still be using, I mean, I guess you could use CDJs. I, I never liked CDJs. I loved but... my CDJ 1000s. Um, I wish I still had them. They were incredible. There were ways, though, with, like, vinyl that... I mean, CDJs, you could use effects. And that's probably, like, at that stage, you would do effects mixing. Uh, I would do I would do a backmast, you know, like a... Yeah. In, in. Oh, yeah, on, like, your CDJs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I had the 1000s when they first came out. I had the 300s when Pioneer first made a CDJ. I think I was doing that when I was using those vinyl, the, the Stanton Straight 30s Yeah. that I gave you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... Man, that was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I'm so much more like mobile now with digital. It's it's so much easier, and there's so many Dude. other like ways, like effects and things that I can do now. But I used to be like so much more intricate with even um, my dance club mixes. So mm-hmm. I used to do um, like by BPM and then like by energy level. But I also, um, I harmonically keyed all my songs. Oh, absolutely. So, like, I would be going from, um, like, up, like, a whole octave and, like, trying to to make the mix flow as, like, as smooth as I could, like, the most, like, harmonically pleasing sounds. And, you know, I stopped doing that, and I'll tell you why. Um, <sighs> Man hours. So... <laughs> Yes and no. Like there's, there's, um, I would say there's something to like honing your craft Mm -hmm. and like being a professional and doing that. And this is only half that. So like, I still do take pride in like getting music and beat gritting it and doing it right. But, um, I stopped doing that because I was not working one night. I'm out of the club. I'm literally just, I'm drinking, Mm -hmm. having some beers, hanging out, relaxing. This other DJ's working and this guy is, um, he's into the craft, but he's one of those guys that like won't play other genres. Okay. So, and this was like a struggle because especially in this area, like once you get out of like a super urban area, it's hard to find a crowd that like likes very different types of music or branches out or is even just willing to accept something other than what they've already heard on the radio. Right. So, and this guy was really into, um, like classic house music. Mm. And I think, I don't think he was playing on vinyl. I think he had time codes, but, um, he's playing this stuff and it's like deep, real housey, like borderline disco housey music. But this is at the vinyl club. 
Okay. And if you're not familiar with the Vinyl Club, the Vinyl Club is a low ceiling, moist kind of <laughs> drippy, <Moist>. uh <laughs> college party kid hangout. Yes. That's, that's a apt description. I mean, it's. I hate I hate to say that, but. Um, because it, it does turn some people off of going there, and Absolutely. everybody has this like idea of what it is. Yeah, and largely what that is is the people that come in there. Yeah, because I like going there early, like right when they open, hang out, DJs playing music they want to play. Because nobody shows up until um, eleven. Like, <laughs> no, it's not even. It's like midnight. <laughs> yes. So they're they're open for maybe two hours, and it's like a couple of people here and there, but. Um, yeah. The majority of that crowd, and that's like back to the psychology thing. They don't want to be there until it's uh, busy. Until it's busy. It's the end up of Ashland. So you have like <laughs> 100, 200 people that will come through there, walk in, be like, oh, it's not busy, and leave. Yeah. If people stayed, it would get busy in minutes. Yes. But anyway, this is this is completely going off the rails from that story. So this guy is playing house music, which EDM has come into the folds in like recent times, but like modern EDM is so different from like the old house, almost like disco, new disco kind of stuff. Right. And that's what this guy is playing. And this is like prime time Friday night at the vinyl club. And I'm trying to remember who owned it that time. I think it was John. Might've been John. And, um, cause John, you, you didn't work for Shahar. No, I didn't. So it was uh, John or Mike. I think that was before I lived in Japan. Okay, it was John. So, that was John. No, no, I mean um, Shahar, right? Shahar was before you went to Japan. I think I played there once with you. Okay, but that was it. It was like a collab situation. Anyway, yeah. back back to that story. So yeah. this uh, this other DJ's there playing like time coded, but like house music, and people are girls are upset because they want to. They, they want Usher. Play Get Low. Play <laughs> Yeah by Usher oh, and. God. Asked for uh, like Tiger tracks, yeah, and he plays a a record by Tiger, the like new house disco oh, yeah. artist, and yes. he's like, oh, "I played it for you. I played it as Tiger," and something like snapped in John because John he's he's all about the business. Yeah. He doesn't care about the music. He doesn't care about the craft, uh-huh. and, and this kind of came out here. So he fires the guy. On the spot. Probably, yeah, on the spot. I was it, was, say, it was yeah. an on the spot, not a like, end of the night, you're done. It was a, you're losing me money. Pack you're done. shit and go. Pack it up. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk to you tomorrow. And, which, fine, you run your business how you, you deem fit, but at right. this point, there's no music. Yeah. And so no music at a nightclub is like dead air on the radio. It's yes. the worst possible scenario. Yeah. Like even a pause in the music is is bad. What the fuck is going on? Exactly. They're looking at me like, uh, and I'm like, ah! Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it doesn't even it's matter like, if, if, if we had an earthquake. If the music stopped, they're blaming me. Yes. <laughs> or you. <laughs> uh-huh. And like, so this is, and I mean, people who aren't a DJ won't probably understand this as much. Even if there's like a breakdown in a song, people don't know what to do without like that four to four, like, Oh boop, yeah. Boop, 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 and then boop. you have, so boom. yeah. Or even just anything where there's like pads or there's like a vocal bridge or something. They don't know what to do. So like I will queue up like another sample. If I'm playing a song like that mm-hmm. with the beat from the song, like in the beginning and yep. play it over that so that the beat never actually stops. Right. Because people don't know what to do. When they don't know what they to do without that. a beat. Mm-hmm. So there's no music. <laughs> Girls are just kind of like looking around, the ones that were on the dance floor, and then um, 
he he looks at me and he's like play some music and i'm like i don't have any equipment i've been drinking like i'm not prepared for this <laughs> and then he he throws me his iphone and i'm like what, what do you want me to do with this <laughs> <laughs> and he's like pull a pandora and i was like are you serious oh, so pull a pandora he's got a tiger station because these girls, I'm sure that like that was part of the reason that this whole situation occurred is that these girls have been hounding John to hear Tiger so they could dance to Tiger and then drink and potentially atta- attract other customers to the yes. dance floor. So that was like the whole motivation. So <laughs> this is like a very long roundabout way to try, try and explain why I don't um, harmonically key my music for sets anymore. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we've got this uh, iPhone and I'm playing this through just through the sound system. It's a Pandora Tiger radio station song plays. They're dancing. And then um, you've used Pandora. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, at the end of the song, there's no um, pre-buffering that happens. Yeah. So song ends, goes all the way to the end, ends. There's about uh, three seconds, four seconds. And then... Which feels like 15 minutes. In a nightclub, yes. And yeah. then the next song cues up. And so I'm just blown away by this, that this not only is happening, but that it's working. So the song plays, people dance, it stops. When the music stops, everybody just kind of freezes on the dance floor and they like look either up or at the DJ booth (laughs) and they're just frozen in that, like the, the dance pose that they were in. And then the next song cues in. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're good. All right. God. And I'm just like, how how is this working? Like my abilities as a DJ have been just reduced to oh. auto cued Pandora radio station, and so that was the point where I was like, I'm not gonna harmonically cue my tracks anymore. I mean, the thing is, is um, we both have worked in environments where people will appreciate that pre work as a DJ. Yeah, and you it's, know that they it's know some that venues more than others. There's nothing here that does, that mm-hmm. there's nothing here in the Rogue Valley that caters to people who appreciate what the DJ is actually doing. So the only time that I've actually had that was in events that I or other DJ friends created. Yeah, like at SOU. Yes. So for me it was it's things like when I DJ for Dutch Brothers. Mm-hmm. Or you know, Black Rock Coffee Bar, any of these yeah. coffee bars, and I get to DJ like their company parties. Um, I did Dutch Bros corporate party last uh, December, and then I've done Black Rock up in Portland their corporate mm-hmm. parties, and um, I put together a giant set. I put together this set. I listened to it for weeks. This was for Dutch Bros last mm-hmm. year, and the theme the, there wasn't like a, it was a white party blah 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 whatever but he the the promoter guy the guy that put it all together tells me man bring up bring some party music bring mm-hmm. like you know build a playlist that's going to like melt faces you know yeah. do some EDM do some hip hop do mm-hmm. some remix you know whatever just yeah. do your thing you know and so i put together this fantastic playlist mm-hmm. it's literally 16 hours long i had a 4 hour right. gig so i was going to do some quick mixes and just play as much music as possible yeah. So he says early, you know, just play, you know, kind of mellow, play mm-hmm. some Zeppelin because Travis likes Zeppelin. Yeah. And I'm How like, you okay, Zeppelin. You can't. So yeah. you just play, you segue. But yeah. anyway, so I'm just playing dinner music 
essentially at that point. Mm-hmm. And people are trying to dance, but they didn't want me to get really the dancing going until after mm-hmm. Travis was there to give away gifts and stuff, raffle type of stuff. But yep. anyway, so it was kind of like he was being late. He was late. He was late. He was late. And the yep. guy's like, dude, just fire it up. Let's go. You know, I'm yep. throwing a party mix at these folks and they're loving it. Mm-hmm. And then Travis comes in. I stop the music. They do the giveaways. I literally played for 45 minutes. Like the party music. Mm-hmm. I built a 16-hour playlist and played for 45 minutes. You condensed all of that down to 45 minutes? No. Out of four hours, yeah. I played for... I really played oh, for 45 yeah, yeah, minutes. Oh, yeah. really played. All I, the build-up and all this yeah, shit. 45-minute mm-hmm. set, and I haven't even played like the shit that I really... I'm like, man, right here, this is the sweet spot. Yeah, that's how I feel about weddings, actually. Weddings are this. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah, I know, but it's like the if you're talking about the actual DJing or the set or like people say they want to DJ, it doesn't make any sense to do anything other than automatic segueing until you get to after eating, maybe some people are going to dance or you do coordinated dances. I literally don't do any mixing at weddings. Like even zero, even at the dancing portion. Nope. I just play the songs as they hear them. Uh, They don't they don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, you can do it. Yeah. You can totally do. I I, I, I don't play that kind of music mm-hmm. at a wedding. And See, it, and that's like where it's difficult because the people book you because they know your mixing ability. They know your ability. To no, run. they book okay. me because I know they know I'm good at weddings. Your, your <laughs> bookings, yes, they know you're good at weddings. Yeah. When people book me, they book me because they know that I'm good in a nightclub setting. Right. That well, I do nightclub l- DJing and bro, that's what they want. I, I was mm-hmm. built in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. For DJing. It's exactly where... I mean, I, I started yeah. DJing in this valley um, in 1990 at the skating rink, and then 91, I'm in a club. From from 91 mm-hmm. on, I've been in clubs. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... Um that like that's what they're looking for when they book me, but they don't realize because they haven't had their own wedding already. They don't know <laughs> like what you need out of somebody doing professional sound at a wedding. Yeah, well, it, and it's, it's mostly you need a sound engineer more than you need a DJ. Yeah, in in some aspects, the the thing that I pull from my club experience into a wedding is knowing what's going to fill the floor. Yes. Knowing what the, <laughs> and reading the room. Yeah. Here's yeah. what I do. Are you ready for what I do? Because here, I don't know about in the Bay Area, but here, no one wants to be the first person on the dance yeah. floor. And that can be said it's for everywhere. many places, but mm-hmm. a wedding specifically yes. is not designed for dancing. Uh-huh. And everybody thinks they're going to have this wild dance party. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people will come up to me and go, Man, I'm so sorry no one's dancing. And I'm like, it's cool, man. I'm having a great time. They're over there tapping their toe. They're bobbing their head. They're chatting with their friends. Everyone's loving the day. The dance part is like secondary Mm -hmm. or even even a third layer. It totally depends on the crowd because sometimes you'll have people who are super eccentric. Party. They don't care. They want to be the first one. They are the first one. They want eyes on them. So here's what I do. Are you ready for what I do? What? Okay. I... Pose a group picture on the dance floor. Uh-huh. <laughs> I already see where you're going. Pow! 
I start yeah. the song. I do the picture. Uh-huh. The photographer's in. They know uh-huh. what's going on. The crowd does not. Yeah. I haven't even discussed it with That's the bride clever. and the groom. Mm-hmm. And then I throw on a song, and I'm like, hey, you're standing on the dance floor. Might as well use it. And, mm-hmm. dude, yeah. even if it only lasts for, like, three or four songs, mm-hmm. um, it'll it'll keep a bulk of a crowd around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you wait for them to come, they're not coming. Yeah. They're not coming. There might yeah. be five uh-huh. out of 80 people. Yeah, absolutely. You put them on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. No one else is looking at them. Uh-huh. They don't feel weird. They're in their group. They're real. They're you're building this kind of lovely feeling. And then pow, you drop mm-hmm. a bomb on them and they're dancing. Yeah. And 99% of the time it keeps at least half of that bulk crowd on the dance floor for the rest of the night. Yeah. If they dance to one song, it's that song. And then like the people who don't really want to dance, they'll filter out. But then there's a core group that are going to dance and then they kind of mingle about and they're back dancing and they, you know, so it, it literally works. Mm-hmm. It's so silly. It's funny. Like these kind of crowd dynamics, at least tricks that we have to do yeah. that people don't realize, like they don't think about any of the stuff that like goes into DJing or like, cause if you're DJing and you're playing whatever you want, that's fun, but you're never, when you're DJing, you're never DJing for yourself or you shouldn't be. Cause that's the mark of like not a great DJ. Yeah. If he's up there, he or she DJing for themselves only, then mm. the only people who are going to dance are them or maybe their friend. There are two or three people mm. when you got 200 to entertain. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's mostly just reading the crowd and playing the appropriate stuff. Well, and, and, and for me, when I see people tapping their toe or bobbing mm. their head, they're, they're, they're entertained Yeah, at, at a certain level. They're, they're into it. They're vibing for like the, the dance club. That's good. First hour or two is people, Dude, nodding their head or tapping their yeah. toe—that's like great signs. That means it's okay that you're doing good. They just need to get a few more beers in them before they'll make their way to the dance floor. Right. And that, like, the dynamic is is similar, but but different because you can't just expect people to just get sloshed at a, a wedding and then go on to the dance floor, which it does happen. Oh but, gosh, yes, <laughs> every weekend, like on a on a different level in a different way. The difference between a nightclub and a wedding and a dance party mm -hmm. is how people are dressed. So to to a degree, I think when people are dressed mm -hmm. up, they even though they might get more they might get more intoxicated than they normally do. They will still kind of have this professional feel about themselves differently. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Um, But I do see people getting totally wild at a wedding too. Yes, but that's usually like I've seen vaginas at weddings unintended. You know, like, I was gonna say, pow, there's a vagina. It would be scarier if it was intended. Well, and now I'm a gynecologist. Just uh, kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I lost my train of thought. That's all right. Now, you know, I'm like, I got to piss so bad. You want to take a quick break? No. I just, just want it. We've been doing it for a, over an hour. Sponsors and, uh, I have no sponsors to mention. <laughs> I'm not Mar- Mark Marin. <laughs> I, I would like to to plug tonight at uh, Voodoo do Martini. Voodoo uh, Martini. When do we open? <laughs> you start playing at nine o'clock. All right. Now I'll be there at nine by myself, looking for people nodding their heads and tapping their toes. So, well, they might get busy at nine. Well, literally, it might happen right at nine. 
So um, the last crowd night, dynamics here are so different, and I never know what to expect, especially at a new venue. Well, okay, so here's the thing about mm-hmm. Voodoo. It, it is a small place. It's mm-hmm. right downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of foot traffic. It's right, it's right, it's, uh, it's right next door to Gypsy Blues Bar, mm-hmm. so there's already a bar crowd out. Yeah. Um, but they don't come into Voodoo. They stay there. Those it's people are loyal to Gypsy. Super interesting how like a cluster of bars both helps and hurts your business. In Absolutely. This area because mm-hmm. unless it's busy enough, it hurts you because then you're splitting your crowd amongst the different spaces. Well, but if it's more like, places, more options, more people. Yes. And then the busier it is, the more it helps you because people are already out at one. It's already busy enough. Maybe you'll go in there. Well, the dynamic at um, Voodoo has been the early bar, right? Mm-hmm. And the last couple of weeks, it seems like like the uh, the last time I played before last night, I was I was there till like one, mm-hmm. which is normally not the thing. I'm yeah. there until midnight, and it, it's already kind of slowing down, and mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm packing up, and people are going on to the next thing. But the the last few weeks have been staying open later, yeah. and um, you're right on the dance floor. You walk okay. in, there's a table ready for you to set up your your controller on mm-hmm. or whatever you're using tonight. And then it's RCA. Okay. And no easy to go, easy okay. peasy. And, and then, you know, whenever, if it's dead, but they want music back on, it's just slide the furthest left two channels and mm. he's got the iPad playing. <laughs> yeah. But at yeah. any rate, it, you're going to have a good time. It's a really cool, sweet little spot. Mm-hmm. It's when clean. You say on the dance floor, is it? How on the dance floor? You're like, against the wall, right. basically. There's a mm-hmm. little kind of looks like a closet, and that's where the soundboard is. Mm-hmm. And you plug in. You're kind of cornered. Yeah. So let's say this Trapped is the dance, the dance floor, floor right here. This it's is cornered, the dance floor. Alone, yeah. scared, naked. Why are you naked? You're right here. If this table is the dance floor, uh-huh. you're in this corner of the dance floor, and the gotcha. bar is right here, mm-hmm. over right. here, and the bathrooms are behind you. That's like another interesting thing is like every place has their own design for dance floor and then bar setup and then where the DJ booth is. Yeah. And everyone has a totally different idea, and they're usually not by people who are in that booth DJing. They're like, oh, we'll put the DJ here. There's not a booth. Yeah. It's not a booth. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a, a table. Is it a platform or it's just a table? It's a table on okay. the dance floor in the corner next mm-hmm. to the sub. <laughs> so, and I mean, that's good. So for being next to the sub is great because you can feel the music better. It's easier to mix. Um, you got a speaker right here, right above your head. Uh-huh. Well, and it's not too loud for me, at least. I was going to say, usually they're um, directional PAs, right? So as long as you're like at the same positioning as the speaker or behind it it's never really a problem you're you're not behind any sound mm-hmm. you're either under it or it's in front of you because uh, there's okay. a speaker across the way uh-huh. in the ceiling and it's angled down yeah. and you're 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 getting it here mm-hmm. but then there are two other there's four main speakers and a sub mm-hmm. and then you've got the the other speaker hanging in the ceiling over here and then one over there and it all comes in. There's a sweet spot right in the middle, a truss yep. in the floor. There's seating around. It's sort of like okay. dance where you're sitting or hanging out. That's gotcha. the that's the vibe. The vibe. All right. Dance wherever you're mm-hmm. at. There's not a, a real designation to the dance floor. Got it. But you're definitely mm-hmm. right in that. And there's a there's a line, a couple of really nice sofas mm-hmm. right off the DJ booth. And then there's bistro tables. I right. feel like the sweet spot for DJing with a DJ booth is being on the dance floor enough that you can 
interact with and react with the crowd. You're totally the crowd. You're there. So like race platform is good because you can you can see the crowd, but at the level of the dance floor is fine. Like it's it's acceptable, but you want to be in the dance floor, but not so in the dance floor that people are like spilling drinks on you uh, or nope. like harassing you or any of that. Uh, um, there's been a couple of times where I've had to tell people to stop touching my laptop, yeah. but it's not <laughs> please, near. Please stop touching me. <laughs> it's not near yeah. in other the 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 uh, extremities that I've experienced in other places, even places yeah. with a dedicated raised DJ booth. Mm-hmm. Rock and Rodeo had a fucking amazing DJ booth. Raised DJ booths are the way to go, dude. Because it's. Wet nightclub? Did you go to Wet? Were you here for that? I was here. I don't think I DJed there. Wet had a bitchin' bitchin' raised yeah. DJ booth. Mm-hmm. It, both Rock and Rodeo and Wet had the best best DJ booths I've ever worked in. Mm-hmm. They were raised. It was like a small room. There was limited access. Yeah. Um. I loved. I loved those two DJ booths. Yeah. But anyway, we're coming up on almost an hour twenty. Oh wow. Yeah, so I'm going to wrap it up. All right. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I like to keep it at an hour. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This thanks was a for pleasure. DJing tonight. Yeah, of course. Thanks for all the other stuff, whatever it is. All the things. I do all the things. Thanks for being my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs>